Okay, good, 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 good. Hey, 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 today we're going to continue with this theme of wildfire, looking at this metaphor of fire spreading across an area, being driven by something and consuming everything in its path. And I've only lived in Colorado for nine years, but I'm already pretty familiar with that, that, that concept, right? Some of us have lived through that. We've lost things to that. We watch it on the news every, every summer, right? If, it goes like this. If you have a fuel supply and a hot driving wind, we have a lot of that here, if someone were to introduce even a small spark, all right, the resulting wildfire will consume everything in its path. And unless you remove one of those elements, the fire, the fuel, or the wind, it's going to keep going. It's unstoppable. It's uncontainable. It's going to consume everything in its path. And this is a, a, the perfect picture or metaphor of how what happened in those days, those first days after Jesus rose from the dead and started his first church, leading all the way up here to Colorado today, all right, the, to this moment. That's kind of how it happened. Jesus said uh, he's the fire. His name is, 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 the, is the flame. The Holy Spirit is, is, is the wind that's spreading that, that fire all to the ends of the earth. And people like us all over the world are the fuel. We're being consumed by this wildfire named Jesus. And it's been going on like this for thousands of years. Look how a prophet, several hundred years before Jesus was even born, he used the same metaphor to talk about his relationship with God. He says this, Jeremiah, he says, if I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, and we saw that a couple weeks ago, stop talking about Jesus. Here's the response. There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. And that's what, again, that's what we've seen in this series so far. From the very first days, religion tried to stop the spread of Jesus. We need to get rid of this Jesus guy. He's messing everything up. Anybody have any ideas? Yeah, let's nail him to a cross and let's kill him. And they did that and they stuck him in a hole. And then he rose from the dead and his name got bigger. It went further than they ever imagined. Persecution tried to stop the spread of Jesus. They were told, stop talking about Jesus. And they said, we can't. Put us in jail. Nail us to a cross. We're going to keep talking about Jesus. And so they, they, they persecuted him. The Christians scattered all over the Middle East. And they took the message, the fire of Jesus, with them and set whole towns and villages and regions of, that, of the Middle East on fire with Jesus. Last week, this is what Scott talked about. A guy named Saul tried to murder and imprison followers of Jesus. And he was on his way to do that. And Jesus knocked him off off his donkey, I've got to be careful with that, right? And put him on his face in the dirt and put his own fire inside of Saul and consumed Saul like a crucible, burning up all of the things that don't need to be there until only gold was left, changed Saul. And Saul said, I was the worst sinner of all time, the least likely of all people. And because Jesus in his life consumed those parts, other than Jesus himself, Saul, changed his name to Paul, is responsible for more people going to be in heaven someday than any other human being in history, the worst sinner ever. And that's, that's kind of where I want to pick up on the story today because there's one line, one verse that Scott talked about last week and I'm going to look at it here in a second. And in this story that we're going to look at today that had this fire of Jesus not burned some things to the ground and allowed some new things to grow, we wouldn't be here today. Based on what, what Scott talked about briefly last week and then what we're going to talk about a lot this week, if it hadn't happened, you and I would not, most of us would not be in this room today. Let me just kind of review real quick. Last week, there was a guy named Ananias. He was arguing with Jesus. The spirit of Jesus was talking to him because Jesus had just told him, here's what I want you to do, all right? I want you to go find this guy named Saul, the guy who's been traveling all over this part of the, of the country, having Christians murdered in prison, throwing their kids out into the street. I want you to go find him, and here's what I want you to do, right? He's blind. I want you to help him. I want you to help this guy that's been destroying families. I want you to go and heal him. And Ananias' response, dear Lord, no, amen, right? Anybody pray that? I hear what you're saying, God. No, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. It's a bad idea, God. Have you ever told God it's a bad idea? Because I, I do like daily, all right? All right? I, I, and here's what I say. I don't want to help Saul. I don't want to help people like Saul. He's done bad things. He's done really bad things to people in my life. I don't trust him. If you want me to go hurt him, I'm in. I'll you know, punch him in the throat. That's fine. But I, people like that shouldn't be saved or helped. He should be punished. And here's what Jesus says to Ananias. 
He says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he, Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the who? The Gentiles. Now remember that, and kings and the children of Israel. And here's why this is so important, all right? Jesus has already described what's going to happen. He says, my fire, my name, my salvation, my church, it's going to spread. It's going to take over. It's going to start right here in the Jewish capital of Jerusalem, but it's not going to stay there. Eventually, it's going to go out to Judea and Samaria, those regions a little bit further out from Jerusalem, but still primarily Jewish territory. Ter- territory. And then eventually, it's going to go to the ends of the whole earth. And here's what, what Jesus said to Ananias is so important. And Ananias has no clue what he's even talking about. But what Jesus has just announced is this. This fire, my fire, is about to get bigger and go further and include more people than you, Ananias, or any other person up to this point has ever imagined. From this point on, the event we're going to look at today, from this point on, the gospel, the message, the salvation of Jesus isn't just going to be something that just grew out of the Jewish religion primarily for Jewish people. I mean, that's where it started. It's not going to stay there. From this point on, it's going to include people that you haven't thought about before. Non-Jewish people, Gentiles by definition, other races, other countries, people who have never even heard of Jerusalem, they're going to be brought in because of what God did through the Jewish faith. Not discounting that at all. We wouldn't be here without it. Culminating in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of a Jewish man named Jesus, God is going to keep his promise he made to a man named Abraham thousands of years ago. And he said, Abraham, through you, one of your descendants, all, all the people of the world will be blessed and saved. That offspring, that descendant, that great, 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 and a bunch more grandsons, his name's going to be Jesus. He's going to change the world. We're going to see it happen right here. And here's the crazy part. Back then and still today, in this room, even today, when I, when I talk about what I'm going to talk about, there, there are always some people of, of, of God. Anytime God w- wants to do something new, something out of the box, something that we haven't really thought he was going to do, especially include some other people and invite some people to come into his family and into his church, there's a lot of people like us, people of faith, and we're not bad people. I think we're, we're pretty good people, but we're always shocked that God's going to do something like that. And our response a lot of times when God wants to do something new is we, we, we kind of look back, God, are you sure, God? Do you know what you're talking about? You, you sure you want them in here? Surely you're not talking about them, not them. And today we're going to see Jesus says, yeah, them. I want them in my family. And for the record, them is us. He's talking about us. So here we go. All right. So there's, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. All right. Now I say this a lot. I'm not going to say it all the time, but I'm going to say it a lot. If you don't own a Bible by now, it's because you just don't want one. You, you, you just don't want one. There are free Bibles in the back. If you don't have one, you don't love Jesus. I don't know. I don't know. No, I don't mean that. But, but you should have your own Bible by now because they're free in the back. And I want you to write in them and stuff like that. But, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. And we're going to be in a, a city called Caesarea. All right? Caesarea. It's named after a guy named Caesar. So it's Caesarea. But that sounds gross. So it's Caesarea. All right? And that's the Roman emperor. Some, some, some junior high kid went, ha. I know, that sounded like that. Anyway, so anyway. So, but we're going to be looking at a man, and his name is Cornelius. He's an Italian man. He grew up in Rome. He's an officer in the Roman army. He's in charge of about 100 soldiers. Here's what we know about him. You've got to read this other part on your own. But he loves God. Doesn't know anything about Jesus. Never heard of him, but he's spiritual. He prays a lot. He helps poor people. He gives to the poor, feeds poor people in, in Caesarea all, all the time. He's a good, good man. Now, now here's the big deal about this story we're going to look at today. Cornelius is not Jewish. And that's not a big deal to us because most of us in this room probably did not grow up with a Jewish heritage, all right? But it is a huge deal in this story because God, and you've got to read this on your own, but here's the backstory: God sends Cornelius a message through an angel. I want you to have somebody go over to that town over there, get Peter, a Jewish man, and bring him back to your house. And let me explain why this is such a big deal, all right? It's not a big deal today, huge deal back then, all right? See, if you were to go back and read certain parts of the Bible, the parts before Jesus was born, especially the parts of the Bible that are describing what the early forming days of the Jewish people looked like, 
all right? You would go back and you would find, especially that part like the book called Leviticus, all right? You would find verse after verse, list after list, chapter after chapter about what the, what the Jewish people were and were not allowed to do. And there's just lists all over the place. You can eat that, you cannot eat that. You can touch that, don't touch that. You can wear that, you can't wear that. And the reason you had to keep all those rules is if you want to be holy, if you want to be set apart, if you want to be clean before God, you got to keep these rules. And see, you know some about some of these rules, whether you're Jewish or not. You know some rules about the Jewish faith. For example, you know that the Jewish people are not supposed to eat pork, all right? You don't know anything about the Jewish faith. They can't eat ham, all right? There, there you go. You know that. But I kept reading. I read a lot of Leviticus this past week, right, and which is... That's fascinating reading. Anyway, but, but, but there, there's other stuff they can't eat. They can't eat shellfish, clams, lobster, stuff like that, all right? But here's where it gets weird. Did you know Jewish people are not allowed to eat eagles, owls, or bats? Oh, that ruins Christmas. Right, right there, right? So anyway, right? So, <laughs> so but, but there, I found this. There's a Bible verse about this. You can eat a bug that flies, but not one that crawls, unless it has a certain amount of legs. If you're Jewish, you can't eat lizards. Ah, all right? Can't eat anything that has paws, so the dog's out. You can't, you're not allowed to eat that, all right? right? The, these are all, they're verses in the Bible, Leviticus, cleanliness laws that go like this. If you eat that, you're unclean. And you're not allowed to worship God because you can't, God won't listen to your prayers unless you go through a ceremony that washes you clean. Then you can come back and then you can be in God's presence. There's a whole chapter in the book of Leviticus on menstruation and other bodily discharges. It's horrible. It's a horrible chapter. Don't read that one, all right? But it's just, it's just gross. But there are literally hundreds of laws in the Old Testament that are all about you can eat that and don't eat that. You can touch that and don't touch that. But if you accidentally touch something or something accidentally touches you, here's what you have to do if you want to be with God again. You have to wash your hands this way, this many times a day. This is how you do it. But bottom line, they're all about externals. Stuff on the outside of you that might get on you and make you dirty. Are you allowed to touch that or not touch that? Go there, not go there, because if you do, here's my question, can I be with God, yes or no? And they're, they're not bad people, they're not dumb people. They really are trying to be holy. We wanna be set apart from God. But what, what religious people, they did back then, the same thing religious people do today, they thought they'd help God out and add some more rules on. God didn't say it, but he should have, so it's a rule, all right? So people, we, we've all grown up with stuff like that. They would just add stuff in there. Some religious people threw into the mix like this. God didn't say this, but the, they came up with this. If you really love God and don't want to get dirty, you aren't allowed to go into the house of, eat a meal with, be friends with, talk or touch a non-Jewish person. They really believed that. They really did. If I want to be with God, I can't go over to your house and eat dinner. And here's why it is. We're good. You're not, unless you're one of us, all right? Uh, we're saved. You're, you're lost. God loves us. He doesn't love you as much. And all that sounds silly and ridiculous to us. But what God was saying was this, I do, I do want my people to be different. I want you to live different lives than, than the common people all around you. But he was also pointing out was this, trying to keep external rules of eat that, don't eat that, touch that, don't touch that is exhausting and endless and it won't work in helping you stay connected to God. You don't have to be Jewish to, to, to understand this. Uh, some of us grew up in very, very legalistic Christian backgrounds. Really, I honestly grew up thinking that if I was in a rated R movie and Jesus came back, boom, straight line to hell. I really believe that. I believe the last thing I did before I had a car wreck was cuss, mm, hell. I just believe that my whole life, all day long. I didn't know when I laid my head on a pillow if I was going to heaven or hell or not based on what I'd done right or wrong that day. It's the same thing, measuring everything by externals, all right? So it doesn't work. But by trying to do that, you will begin to realize that you need something to happen in you to make you clean rather than depend on something outside to tell you that you are. Here's how Jesus said it. It makes it really, really perfectly clear. He said this. We looked at this several months ago. This is Jesus talking. He says, do you not see, and you've got to see this. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? That's just biology, all right? Verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. And you think about this list that's about to come up. It came from something inside of you, not something outside of you. 
Here's what he says, all right? For out of the heart come evil thoughts. I don't know, something's going on inside of me. I just, something evil. Some murder, that's where it came from. Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile anyone. Now that's the backdrop, the kind of the background story on what we're walking into right here, okay? Back to the story. God tells Cornelius, all right? Listen, through an angel, send somebody to get a Jewish man named Peter, bring him back to your Gentile house. God doesn't explain why. Here's, here's what's gonna happen. Cornelius doesn't ask why. He just says, I'm in, I trust you. He sends two people to go get Peter, all right? So Cornelius is on board. Peter, we all know Peter, right? Not so much. Peter's gonna have some questions for God before he decides to... To, to, to go along with this whole thing. Pick up in, in the story in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. If you had your own Bible, you'd be turning there now, but you don't. All right, so, <laughs> but you could. Anyway, so, so verse 9 goes like this. <laughs> Sorry. The next day, as they were on their journey, these two guys that left Cornelius' house, approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. If you've ever been to the Middle East, they still build houses that way. It doesn't rain very much. They have flat roofs. It's like 150 degrees. You go up on your roof, catch a breeze. That's what he's doing. They went up there to pray, all right? So Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. So he falls asleep. He's going to have a dream. Here it is. And saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. Bats, lizards, they're all, they're all on the sheet, all right? And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now you got to let that sink in. All right? God has just told Peter, okay, here's what I want you to do. Let go of everything that you've always been taught and considered to be part of that. You have to do that, not do that, eat that, and don't eat that in order to be okay with God. God has just said from this point on, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. And it kind of blows Peter's mind. He has some opinions on this, okay? Thank you, God. Here's what I want to say. Peter said, by no means, Lord. You ever said that to God? No. By no means, Lord. And here's why. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. No, I have, I've never done that before. I'm not, I, that's outside of my reality. I'm not going to do that. Verse 15, and the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. And Peter's now sitting on the roof, messed up. He's not like, what just happened? I'm confused. What he had always thought and been taught, this is important. This is what is required on the outside to be good with God on the inside, just got blown away. Now, look at the timing of this, all right? What happens right after this? Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, so he's just sitting there on his bed, what's going on, all right, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. So Peter's on the roof right now going, what just happened? Ding dong, you're about to find out, all right? This, the timing of this is great. Verse 19, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit up there on the roof said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Now, look at this. So he, Peter, invited them in to be his guest. So he's going to put his toe in the water. I've never done this before. Never had Gentiles in my house before, but here we go. You guys come on in. He's putting his toe in the water to see if lightning strikes. That's exactly what he's doing. He said, it's scary to take that first step out of the box. You guys want to come in my house? Oh, I bet I'm going to go to hell for this, but come on in, all right? That's what he's thinking. 
The next day, look at this. The next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So he's going to go to a Gentile house, but he ain't going alone. I'm taking some brothers with me, all right? So, so they're, they're headed off to Caesarea. Verse 24. And on the following day, they, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. And look at this. And had called together his relatives and his close friends. So Peter's not going to walk in the house and see one Gentile guy. He brought the neighborhood. He brought my buddies. Aunt Sally's here with her kids, all that kind of stuff. He brought the army. Bring the army. Bring them all in here, all right? Because this Peter guy's coming to my house. I want everybody here. Verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered there. And he was nervous about this, all right? And he said to them, so he calls this out, I love Peter. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to. If my friends find out about this, I am in trouble. And these next two words change it. But God. But God, anytime you have but God, we're going in a new direction. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. For when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked him, why you sent for me? I don't even know why I'm here. I, I don't know why I'm here. And so off we go. Cornelius goes, okay, the other day, I, you know, I was just walking around doing my, doing my thing. An angel said, I'm supposed to come, send two guys to get you. And Peter's like, that's crazy. I was on my roof yesterday. Big sheet fell out of heaven full of bats. It's just nuts, all right? And I, and I ate him. It's just crazy. And then they started talking about this. And then Peter says, do you, so you, you, you love God. Do, do you know anything about this Jesus thing? I don't know about Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. And Peter began to explain and teach about who Jesus is and what Jesus said and what he did and how he was crucified right over there in Jerusalem. He was buried, rose from the dead. And the result was Cornelius looked at him and went, I believe. I believe. I, I, I believe. This is new information to me, but I believe. Not only that, all, everybody in his family, all of his friends that were in that house that day, they believed and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were baptized and they were consumed and they were saved. And I don't want to rush over that because what the Holy Spirit did in Cornelius' house 2,000 years ago, that day, because of that, the door was open for people like us to have access to God. To, well, up to that point, it had only been available primarily for Jewish people, which is great. We, we owe a lot to that little scene in the Bible right there. But remember what I said earlier, anytime God does something new, out of the box, people, th things that people have never really considered before, even the most well-meaning religious people tend to get shocked and are slow to get on board. And that's what we're about to see happen. Peter goes back to Jerusalem, but before he gets home, word had gotten there before of him about, do you know what Peter did? And there were meetings going on by the time he got back to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, so that whole part of the country, heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So they heard some, some, some Gentiles became Christians, all right? Verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, it was a horrible party. I would not go to that party, all right? And it's like, yeah, yeah, all right? That's weird. Another version says this. But the Jewish Christians, I like that better. I think that's a better way to say it. Anyway, but the Jewish Christians criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in, in order. Peter tells the whole story. So this guy named Cornelius, he had an angel come to him, said, come get me. Then I was on the roof the other day, an angel, uh, a sheet fell out of heaven full of all this stuff and I ate it. And I told him the whole thing. And then all the way up to and including, Cornelius and his family were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why, that's why we baptized them. They, they, they received the same Holy Spirit that we received. When, when, when we receive Christ, look at the response here. Acts chapter 11, verse 17. This is Peter still talking. If then God gave the same spirit to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, I love this, who was I? Who do I think I am, right? That I could stand in God's way. God's doing something. Who am I to question that? Who am I to say, God, you're not allowed to do that? God, that's not the right way. Who am I that I could stand in God's way? When they, the, the brothers, when they heard these things, they fell silent. They stopped arguing. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So there are brothers and sisters, too. 
It's not based on whether you're Jewish or not. It's now based on Christ. Years later, Paul, formerly known as Saul, he writes it this way. We're going to look at this in a few weeks. He says this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So when you were baptized into Christ, you put him on. Because of that, from that moment on, there is neither Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter where you came from. There's neither slave nor free. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. There's no male or female. Gender is irrelevant when it comes to your status with God. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. What promise? Abraham, someday I'm going to save the whole world through my son Jesus. What Paul is saying is that in Christ... Please lean into this. In Christ, because of Christ, in Christ alone, we all have the same level of worth to God, of access to God, access to forgiveness, to grace, of being adopted into God's family. It's not based on anything external, what we've done right or wrong in the past, clean or unclean, what we eat or don't eat, drink or don't drink, whether we're rich or poor, man or woman. It's all based on Christ alone. In Christ, we're all in this together. We're one because of what Jesus has done in us. That's what makes us clean. And out of the overflow of that, we do and don't do that. Not to try to clean ourselves up. Not because if I do that right, maybe I'll get saved or become saved, but because I am saved. I finally realize I am saved and I have been made clean. Not because I ate or drank the right or wrong things, but by Jesus. Now, that's the Bible study part of this. I want to spend a lot of time, the rest of our time, on the application part of this. There's two or three applications I think we can draw from what, I, what we just studied together there. So I, I'm, I'm going to say three. The first two, not bad. The last one, pretty rough. Just so you know, it's pretty intrusive. You might want to leave in about 10 minutes. Okay, so first one goes like this. And this, one, this one's not too bad, but it's going to mess some of you Christians up. All right, so, and I love doing that. It's, it's what I do. So here we go. All right, so look at this. All right, and we've got to read this carefully. Jesus fulfilled the laws They determined if a person was clean or not clean based on what happened on the outside moving in. I'll explain that. He did not change the laws based on the inside moving out. All right, let me explain that. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish or erase or take away any of the laws of the Old Testament. All that stuff in Leviticus, still in place. All right? I didn't come to take those away. I came to fulfill them. All those laws about what's clean and what makes you unclean on the outside were all pointing to our need for something bigger and better to take away our uncleanliness forever. Jesus did that. Jesus did that on the cross, fulfilled, final sacrifice, complete, paid for. It is finished. You are clean. Nothing on the outside that happens to you can touch your cleanliness before God. That's the first thing, all right? But the commands of holiness that overflow from the heart outward a heart that's been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, filled with the spirit of Jesus, that hasn't changed. Those expectations are still in place. And let let me explain what I mean. For example, the Bible is clear on what has changed and what hasn't changed since the cross, all right, that makes you okay with God. For example, all right, what you eat or drink is an indicator of your connection to God, that changed. There was a day when whether you ate or drank that, you could be or not be with God. Jesus changed that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you eat or what you drink. Now, you've got to make wise choices about how much you eat or how much you drink. But based on Jesus, there is no law that says you can't ever eat that or you can never drink that. That is gone. So that changed. Here's, this didn't change. Sexual morality, as, he defines it, as God defines it. Marriage, there has not been any change. Because these are not just simply, simply outward behaviors. By definition, they are spiritual expressions of the image of God being reflected out of us right? Sexual expression and marriage are outward expressions of oneness with God. That's what marriage is. Inside being lived out. That is never, ever, ever going to change. It didn't change. Or how about this one? Because I get this one a lot. I get this email a lot based on all this stuff, okay? How about this one? Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28, right? Some of you sent me this verse. Thank you. Let me explain it, all right? It says this, 
do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. And here's why. Because I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord, all right? Now, so, so I've had that thrown at me quite a bit, all right? So let me, let me explain this. The reference in Leviticus was to cultic false religious practices of cutting yourself or marking yourself as an appeal to a false God in order to save your dead friends and relatives. You actually cut yourself. You put a mark so that that, that mountain or the great spirit or the, 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 the forest whatever, all right, would pay attention. Maybe if I marked myself or cut myself, they would save my friends. Guess what? You still can't do that. You still can't do that. You shouldn't do that. It's called idolatry, doing anything for a God who's not really God. And God says, here's why, because I'm the Lord. That mountain is not the Lord. Nature's not the Lord. The ocean, the great force. Now, I am the Lord Almighty. Don't worship a false God. That hasn't changed. It's never going to change. Never will. Now, is God making a blanket statement about all tattoos? No, 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 all right, how, how about, that's not a blanket statement, how about the next, if you read the next verse after the tattoo verse, it says this, don't turn your daughter into a prostitute, is that a blanket statement? Yes, it's like, oh good, oh good, right, I didn't know, I didn't know, right, right, yeah, no, no, right. that's never going to change, we should never ever do that, right, some things change, some things don't, eat bacon, sure, tattoo your arm, go for it, pimp your daughter out, never, ever, 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 don't do that, all right, and, and here's the point of that. See, if you really care, and I'm really talking primarily to Christians here, all right? But if you really care about what changed and what didn't change at the cross, you have to go back and look at the inner or outer activity that that law is focusing on. You can't do what so many Christians do, is cherry pick verses out to back up what you want to do or tell other people what you think they ought to do or not do. And you point to a verse out of context and beat people up with it. We got to stop doing that. You can't make blanket statements by saying, here's an example, all right? And I, I've gotten this one in the last year. You know, in Christ, there's neither male nor female. Apostle Paul wrote that. But you can't jump all the way over to, then anybody can marry anybody because gender in Christ is now irrelevant. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, no. In, in context, gender is always relevant. Gender didn't change. Marriage didn't change. It's the same. Don't worship rocks. Still can't do that. In Christ, you still can't murder people. You can't worship false gods and you can't commit adultery. That didn't change. But in Christ, if you want to go eat steak and lobster or steak and bat for dinner, happy Father's Day, go for it. You know, that's just, that's just, just true, right? So some things went away, some things didn't. Everybody hang with that? So here's the second takeaway. I'm gonna put this in the form of a question. It goes like this. Why are so many Christians so hesitant or afraid to offer the same grace to other people that they them, have received themselves? Why are we so stingy with grace? Why are we trying to figure out who gets in and who, who doesn't get in? Based on, especially, God let us in. And it's not a new thing that, that, that's just come up in the last few years. It happened all the way back in the first moments of the church. The very first disciples had a hard time with what Peter just did. I can't believe you went to Cornelius' house. It, 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 they, they, some of them got over it. Some of them didn't. It took a, a lot of convincing for some Christian leaders back then to ever trust Paul because of his past. Some never did. Some said, if he's going on the mission trip, I'm not going. They actually, they actually said that, all right? There are whole chapters of the New Testament dedicated to the fact that some Christians never got over their opinion that if you want to become a Christian, first, you need to convert to the Jewish religion, get circumcised, then get baptized into Christ. All right? They, they, they wouldn't let go of that. I, I have a feeling that if, if I taught that around here, our baptism weekends would be a lot weirder. They'd just be weird and not very many of them. All right? That's just, that's, that's just true. And here's my point in all this, all right? Why, why is it? It's really my question. Why is it that typically, not always, but almost always, when Christians see someone or something that doesn't line up with what they think is right, or, or, or at least what they think should be, 
Rather than saying, welcome into our church, welcome into our family, rather than doing, being glad to see somebody seeking Jesus, rather than gaining a greater appreciation of seeing God's arms open even wider for all people that he loves, why is it, Christians, that our first response so many times is we get really judgmental about what they should or shouldn't be doing or what they've done wrong in the past and they should have known better and shouldn't have done that in the first, the first place. I don't know if I want them here. Why does we do that? The comparison would be is after church, we all went down to the ER hospital right, right down the street here and we stood at the door and as people were carried in or crawled in looking for help and healing and relief, instead of welcoming them in, saying, finally, you're in a place where maybe healing and help can actually take place. Instead, what we do a lot of times, at least at church, we point fingers and roll our eyes and shake our heads and pass out judgment based on our opinion of what kind of sickness they have, how they got sick and they should have known better and shouldn't have gotten sick in the first place. Why do we do that? And it's got to stop. I get, I get asked this question a, a lot. I get questions like this all the time out in the lobby here and up at West. It's the same thing happens. And I'll just, I'll just give you the list of questions that I've been asked over the last month and a half or so, okay? There's more, but here's kind of the synopsis. I get asked questions like this. Hey, Pastor Jim, do you think gay people, divorced people, people that are making, and they'll fill in the blanks, this mistake, or doing this, people that haven't honored their marriage promises, pe- addicted people, broken people, doubting people, screwed up people, liars, selfish people, criminals, convicts, pedophile strippers. Here's the question. Pastor Jim, do you think people like that are saved? Again, I, do you think people like that, do you think Jesus wants, wants to save people like that? And I, I used to stumble over going, ah, I, 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 I think I found a good answer. Here's, here's what I say. If you ask me that question, here's what I'm going to say to you. I sure hope so. I sure hope so. I sure hope so, all right? Because listen, I'm not saying that external behaviors don't matter. They do. And the Bible is very clear. Just because you have grace, it's not permission to go on sinning and blowing off God's word. But I also believe that grace covers more and reaches further than we think it can and, and think that it does. I believe in big grace, amazing grace, sufficient grace. Grace is greater than all my sin and your sin combined. God's grace is bigger than that. That doesn't mean we let go of God's truth and what he says is right and true. It means we have to hold on and hand out grace that is bigger than what we intend to allow it to be. We need to be more gracious, more welcoming. So takeaway number two would be this. How about rather than try to limit God's grace to a few people, how much better it is to extend it to many? That's just better. It's just better if we open our arms wider and say, come on in here. God loves you and so do we. Here's grace. Now, those, those two applications right there, they're, they're, they're not hard. There's kind of a, as a church or as Christians, here's what we ought to do. That's how we ought to treat other people. This last one is more personal, more intrusive. At least it is for me, all right? And I'll explain. So let, let, me, let me kind of catch you up, all right? So, so God's been doing some stuff in my life over the last ever. Uh, so he's been, he's been doing my life, but especially over the last couple of years, but especially the last six months, all right, and then especially the last week. And so I just want to kind of bring you up on that, all right? So, so, so a lot of this stuff I'm going to tell you, you're going to go, oh, you already talked about this last month or six months ago or something like that. But some of you come to church every once in a while, you know who you are. So I'm going to explain it all again, okay? So here it goes. This past January, uh, me and some, me and some other, uh, other guys here, on, we got on a plane and we visited all of our international partners all over the world. We went to Afghanistan, we went to Africa, then we ended up in Mexico City, and then we came home in 12 days. It was crazy, all right? But as I was in all these countries, I kept having the same conversation over and over about what I was seeing God doing in my own heart and the hearts of men and husbands and fathers all over the world. Like not, not just here in Denver, not just at Flatirons, all, all over the planet, right? And it goes like this. It's like a movement of God calling men to get back in the fight, to become the men that we were meant and created to be that reflects the true masculine image of God that is pressed into every man who's ever been born. But, but somewhere, somehow over the years, over the last decades or whatever, manhood, masculinity has been dumbed down, castrated, tamed down, domesticated. We have a lot of very, 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 wimpy men we just do anyway so I'm down in Mexico City and I met a missionary his name's James Henderson and we connected it was just crazy it's just like dude you complete me not in a weird way but you know what I mean all right so 
So it's like we were really connected. And it's like we just started talking and finishing each other's sentences. And it's like I finally found someone who really shared the same heart for what, for what God was doing in my life and teaching me about masculinity and manhood and being a leader and being a father and all that kind of stuff. And we just went on. We just spent a half a day together down there. But before I got on a plane, James didn't know me very well. So he said, here's some books. I want you to read them. Which I did, all right, I, 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 most of them. All right, and I, so I took him home, and then off we went. So we started emailing and texting and calling back and forth, Colorado to Mexico City, and God started doing something in my heart. And I shared some of this way back, back in February, March, something like that, all right? I knew that during that I Am That Man series. Before I walk up these six steps and turn around and teach anybody anything, but especially men about what God might want to do in their lives, as husbands, as men, as fathers, as sons, I had to go first. Remember I talked about this. I, I have to go first. If I'm going to lead this way, I got I to go first. So that was kind of phase one. Then a few weeks ago, my son Jordan and I, and I told you about this too, we got my Jeep, we drove down to Texas, and we met James. He flew from Mexico City. We went to his dad's farm, and we went pig hunting, all right? And while we were there, we talked some more. And by this time, James is checking out Flatirons. He didn't know much about us, all right? So he's trying to put Flatirons in a category. He never met anybody like me. He tried to put me in a category. I don't fit. All right, I don't, I, I just said, but he tried, he did, he did his best. Because th- for some of you, this is the only church you've ever been to. You think this is the way it always is. This, isn't not, this is not normal, all right? You gotta understand, this is not normal. It's weird in a good way. But anyway, so, but he's from West Texas and it doesn't happen there, all right? So anyway, so some of you from Texas going, that's sure, all right? So, all right, so, so James gave me some more stuff. And again, I kept doing it, kept, kept reading, kept reading. So a few days after I got back, and again, some of you know this, all right? I got back from Texas. I sat down at my dining room table. And I did something I'd never done before and haven't done since, so don't get excited, all right? I journaled. I'm not a journaler. I'm not that guy, all right? But I sat down at my dining room table and just started vomiting out everything. Everything I was feeling, everything I was thinking about, all my thoughts, all my feelings. I wrote down stuff that I'd never written down before. I, I, I said things. I actually wrote this down. I've never seen that in print before. Things that I'd done. Things, things, things that, that had been done to me. Stuff that nobody in the, on the planet knows about. Robin knows some of it at that point. Now she knows all of it. But at that point, nobody knew all of it. But I wrote it all down. Then, then I, I, I call her IT person. I passed her protected and had him killed because nobody can see this. This is crazy <laughs> stuff, all right, right? So a couple of days later, and I felt good about it. I felt, there it is. You know, it's kind of cathartic that I did that. So a couple of days later, I told James. I was on the phone with James in Mexico City. I said, hey, this is what I, done, I, I did. And his response was, Jim, that is awesome. Can I read it? <laughs> and I said, well, let me pray about it. And what I meant was, let me erase that part and take that paragraph out, and then I'll send it to you, maybe, all right? So, so it's kind of an oh crap moment. So eventually, though, I sent it. But about four or five days later, I sent it. It's like, and I, I really wrestled. Finally, I hit the send button. It's like, uh, all right. And what I got back from him was grace. Grace, Jim, that's awesome. Total encouragement. Then he said this. This is the new part you guys don't know about. Then he said, hey, Jim, I want you to really consider going on this men's retreat called the Crucible Project. I've been on staff with it for several years. It changed my life. I think you ought to go on it. And I said, that, that's interesting. Tell me about it. And what I meant was, tell me about it, but I'm not going to go. I, I lead retreats. I don't go on retreats. That's who I am. All right, so, all right, so I don't want to. Can you tell me about this, this retreat? And he says, I can't tell you about the retreat. I'm like, you want me to go on a retreat, but you won't tell me what it's about? He says, well, I can't because it's, it's kind of like Fight Club. <laughs> I'm like, well, I dig that. But, it, but the number one rule of, of Fight Club is don't talk about Fight Club. Thank you. Go to the movies more, folks. All right, so, all right. So, so the normal, you can't talk about it, right? But he said, but trust me. And at that point, I did trust him. He says, what you're going through at this point in your life and what you wrote down and what you sent to me is perfect. And I told him I'd think about it. I didn't, I didn't really mean that. I thought I'd pray about it and tell him no because I don't, do, don't want to go on that. But I did it. So a couple of days later, I, I talk, I'm talking to him on the phone and I say, hey, James, I did it. I signed up. I found a crucible. They're all over the country, all right? And you can get online and find out more about it. But I found one of the retreats. It's in the middle of nowhere. Nowhere. It's West Texas. It's in the middle of nothing, all right? And I'm going to go by myself. No one I know is going to be there. I can just be myself. I don't have to be Pastor Jim. I can just be me. And he says, that's great. But you really need to take somebody with you. 
that defeats the purpose. So I said, crap, all right? So I thought, who can I take that I trust? So I invited Dan, my best friend Dan, and I said, will you go on this retreat? What's it about? I don't know. It's like Fight Club. I don't know. I don't know. He said, I would love to, but I can't because I'm leading a trip to Afghanistan at the same time. I went, okay. So I called Michael, one of our elders, one of my really, really good friends. He said, yes. Now, what is it? I went, I don't know. It's like Fight Club. And he said, I'll go anyway. Then a couple weeks later, Dan comes back to me and goes, okay, listen, God's doing something in your life. God's doing something in our church. I'm the men's pastor here. I told Afghanistan I'm not coming on this trip. I'm going with you. So now there's three of us going on the retreat, all right? It's not anonymity anymore. It's a carpool, all right? So we're going, we're going to Texas. It gets worse. It gets worse, all right? So then Chris Moser, the real tall guy that we just hired and, and on our worship team, plays keyboards amazingly, all right? He's been a member of those staff, these crucible staffs all over the world for the last 10 years. About three weeks ago, he walks down the hallway to my office and goes, hey, guess what? I'm leading your retreat. This time, folks, I didn't say, oh, crap. I said something else, all right? Out loud in the hallway, all right? So pray for me, all right, right? And then he said, can we eat lunch? I'm like, yeah. So we went up to BW3s later that day, and he says, listen, I, I lead these retreats, but I've never led anybody like you. Thank you? Uh, I didn't know. So what do you mean? He says, well, so you're a strong leader, and I'm afraid that, that you, and you're my leader. You're my boss, all right? I'm afraid if you're in the room, I will back off, and I won't bring my A game. And I said, well, then you, you don't, don't lead the retreat. Either you need to find a different retreat or I need to find another retreat because God's doing something in my life and if you back off and don't bring your A game, I lose. So one of us needs to change. And he says, I got this, I got this. And several times through the retreat, he finally said, are you okay with me being here? Are you okay with me being here? Finally, I looked back at me, Chris, are you okay with what I'm about to say? Because if you can't handle it, then go get in your car. He said, I got this, I got this. So this past weekend, this is why I wasn't here last week, I took two close friends, Dan and, and Michael, and I went to West Texas to this, to this men's retreat, all right? And this is how I said it to Rob when I got back last Sunday night. And she says, well, how was it? And I said this. I learned some stuff about myself that she already knew was true. I just didn't believe it. Here's what God taught me last week. And I'm not going to give you all the details of Crucible Retreat. You can get online. I can't tell you about it because the number one rule of Fight Club is don't talk about it. But, and I'm not going to tell you all the details of my own life. I'm not going to confess my sins to you all. I'm not going to tell you what the thorn is in my flesh that I've struggled with. Because here's what will happen. If I do that, you'll reduce this whole talk down to that. Well, he's not talking about me. But we can all fill in the blank. We can all fill in the blank with whatever crap that we're going through. The other thing is I'm not going to stand up here and confess other people's sins to you all when I've never confronted them personally, at least not yet. So let me simply say this, and this is where it ties into everything I've been talking about on a bigger church-wide level, about Christians should or shouldn't, and a level of, of grace that we need to extend, and who gets grace and who doesn't get grace. This is my story. See, I have some stuff in my life. I know you do too, but I have some stuff in my past, and I thought I was over it, but it won't stay in the past. And it raises its head every day, and I've done some stuff in my life. I'm ashamed of what I've done. I've had some stuff done to me, and I hate what was done to me, but I've relived it every day for years. Not This isn't a weak thing. This is decades. I've relived it every day of my life. I hear a voice in my head every day that tells me that I'm not enough, that I'm not a good man. I don't deserve to have Robinism as my wife or have these children as my kids. And every day I'm told by this voice in my head, you shouldn't be leading this church. You're not qualified. Every day, based on this voice and these memories in my head, I feel like everything I have is conditional. And if I screw up or just screw up one more time, I will lose everything. Everything is conditional. Don't mess up. Don't mess up. And here's the thing is, I know that's not true. If you come up to me in the lobby and go, Jim, you know that's not true. I know. I, can, I, I know Bible verses that say everything that I'm feeling is different. I can stand up here and teach you all that what I'm feeling is not biblical. But here's the, the reality. I can't stop. I can't shake it. For decades, every day, every day it comes back. Every communion service I've ever participated where I take that little cup and that little piece of bread, this is what I think about. 
Every day, it won't go away. Jim, you're a fake. You're not enough. You're not a good enough man. You're not really only a man. Fear, shame, insecurity. Now, let me tell you my theology. I believe that God has forgiven me for my past based on what Jesus did on the cross for me. I believe if I die tonight, I will go to heaven. I'm not even afraid to die. I believe the Holy Spirit lives in me and has for years. I believe that God has given me grace. My problem is I won't give myself any. I won't, I won't give myself any grace. I won't forgive myself. I discovered that I've been holding myself and the things that I did wrong and didn't do wrong, right as a kid. I've been holding myself as a child to a 52-year-old level of accountability, and it's not fair. It's not fair what we do to ourselves. And so here's what I did last week, all right? And you've got to work through this if you don't fully understand it. But here's what I did. I didn't have a conversation with God. You know why? God and I are fine. We're fine. I didn't ask God for anything except strength and courage to not turn back from the truth that I knew I had to walk through this fire. I did have a conversation. I had a conversation with myself. I went back to a time, a day, a moment, a place in my life that every, time, every day for the last decades when I closed my eyes, I'm back there again and I looked in my own eyes as a little kid and my conversation with myself went like this. You just did the best you could. You did the best you could. You didn't know what else to do, so you did the only thing that you could. And looking back, ah, you know, as a 52-year-old, I'm looking back, I wish I'd done it different. If I had this information, I might have lived my life different, but I didn't. I did the best I could, but I didn't know what to do. I was just trying to survive. And in that moment in West Texas, a week ago, after decades of guilt and shame and insecurity, the things that have capped and ruined huge sections of my life, I decided to let myself off the map, and I gave myself some grace, and I heard a voice it wasn't God's voice. I, I'd heard God's voice. I know what he had to say. I needed to hear my own voice. I heard my own voice say this with confidence, not arrogance, but with confidence. I told myself, finally, I am a man, and I'm a good one, and I'm supposed to be Robin's husband, and I'm supposed to be my kid's father, and I am supposed to lead this church because I'm a good man because God made me good. God did I'll just, I'll just push on this, right? As a matter of fact, my greatest aha moment was this. There have been times in my life, and I know I'm going to see the heads nodding here, all right? There have been times in my life where I have wrestled with God, and I told him he's not a good God, that he doesn't do his job very well. He doesn't take very good care of me. I put my finger in God's chest and said, you should have done my life differently. And here's the life realization, life-changing realization. I, I, I discovered this. If all of the pain and all the shame and all the tears and all the whatever that you don't need to know about of my past, if that's the only way to get to this moment so I can have Robin as my wife and have these kids and these grandkids, I have two and one more on the way, and to, to be in this church and to lead this church, you know what? I would do it again. Do it to me again. Hurt me again. Sign me up again because God, God was there the whole time. Listen, God was there. Looking back, he was there the whole time. I just didn't see him. I couldn't hear him because of the pain in my life. But he was there and he was always good. I told him he was a bad God. I was wrong. He was good. And he used and is using everything in my life. Nothing is wasted. God has already given me grace. I finally decided to let myself off the mat and give myself some grace. Does anybody else need to do that? Yeah. Yeah. See, I finally decided it's time. See, if God is so faithful and so willing and ready to forgive us and open his arms to us, why is it so hard for us to do that to ourselves? Listen, I'll just, I'm going to let you off the mat. Let yourself off the mat. You did the best you could. You tried. You tried. It didn't work. The marriage fell apart. The kids, whatever that is, you got held down. Whatever that is, you did the best you could to survive the moment. And for years, it has defined you. And because you thought, that's who or that's what or that's all I am and all I'm ever going to be. It's not true. It doesn't have to be true, at least not anymore. God's forgiven you and God has given you grace. You did the best you could. Isn't it time for you to give yourself a little grace? It's time. This is a horrible way to live. It's exhausting, isn't it? Back to the theme. Fire, fire can be a good thing or a bad thing. Here's what I know about fire. In order for something new to come and grow, 
Something else has to go. And by go, I mean it has to be burned to the ground for something new. And I know it's hard to say, I'm going to walk into the fire. But if you don't, if you don't, if you turn away because you're afraid of the fire, this is your life. It's all it's ever going to be. And I want to get better. A few weeks ago, I was at the military event, and, uh, and, and a guy gave me a book. I'm an adult. I'm reading books. Look at that. And uh, it's a cool book. It's called The Warrior Ethos. It's the story of Alexander the Great. I love his story. He conquered the whole known world by the time he was 33. But there was this one story in here about he was facing an overwhelming battle. And no matter, they, they'd conquered every army they'd come across. This time it was a bigger army, something they'd never faced before. And his men were afraid. And so Alexander walked in front of his whole army, stripped down naked, turned 360 degrees. And he said, you see my scars? You see my scars? They're all on the front of my body. There's no scars on my back. Why? Because I won't quit. The only way you get scars on your back is if you're running away, and I'm not going to run away. I will lead you. I, I, won't, I won't turn back. I'll go first. And he led the charge, and they took the battle. Now, here's why I tell you that. I'm not Alexander the Great, and, and I ain't getting naked. So there, there you go, right? So <laughs> thank you. All right. Oh, good. I didn't know where this sermon was going. What kind of church? Here's what. And I'm not being arrogant. I'm not. I can say this confidently because of Jesus. Because of the healing and empowering grace of Jesus, I'm a man, and I'm a good one, and I'm going to lead my wife, I'm going to lead my family, and a few other men, I'm going to lead this church. So, church, I'll go first, and I promise I won't quit on you, and I won't turn back. Sovereign God has trusted me with a little piece of his kingdom called Flatirons, but more importantly, my family. And because of grace, I'm letting go of the past. I did the best I could. I screwed some parts up. I've been forgiven. I've forgiven myself. I'm pressing on, and I'm not turning back. The message is or could be true for you, and it's probably why God drug your butt in here today to hear it for yourself. Through Jesus, God has forgiven you. It is time to forgive yourself and live a better life. Now, I'm gonna close this thing in a weird way, awkward way. If you're here for the first time going, does, does Jim do this all the time? Well, he cries about once a month, but that's it. All right, so anyway, so, and this applies to everybody, but because it's Father's Day, I'm gonna really lean into some men. But ladies, this is gonna apply to you, but it's Father's Day, so give us a break here. It's audience participation. You don't have to do this, men, but I hope you will. I'm going to start with the old guys because the younger guys look to the older guys as leaders and as examples for, for better or worse. So I'm going to start with the old guys. If you are a grandfather or a great-grandfather, I want you to stand up and remain standing. I want to say something to you, all right? So grandfathers and great-grandfathers, stand up, all right? Now here's what it is, okay? I want you, don't clap. You don't know what I'm going to say. You might go, I take that clap back. I don't know, all right? So, <laughs> so, so us old guys, all right? I want you to repeat after me. I'm forgiven. See, that's just, that's just lame. I mean, so, I mean all, all the young guys are going, is he forgiven or not? He doesn't even believe he's forgiven. I don't know. Like, are you forgiven, Dad? I don't know. All right, right, so. So if you really believe this, and then say it with a little bit of authority, okay? So repeat after me, grandfathers. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. There you go. I need to forgive myself. That's just true. It's true. Fathers. I need all the fathers of the room to stand up. Stand up. So all the standing men, say this with me. I'm forgiven. I need to forgive myself. Now all the sons in the room, you stand up. That's all the other males. Mom, is that me? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's you. All right. All right. So all, all the men, say this with me. I'm forgiven. It's time to forgive myself. I am forgiven. I have to forgive myself. Ladies, will you stand up with us? Let's all say it together. I'm forgiven. It's time to forgive myself. Do you believe that? Because if you did, this is the best Father's Day ever. And it may be the 
the best moment of your life from this point on. God, I love you. I love what you're doing in my life. Looking back, I hated what you were doing in my life. And I think everybody in this room has a season or a chapter or decades of their life going, God, what are you doing? And you're, you're not a good God and, and it hurts too bad. I don't understand. But looking back, someday maybe, maybe not till we get to heaven, we're going to see that you were there and that you were good. And the only fire that you allowed to touch our lives was the kind that, that burnt us and burnt and consumed the parts that you didn't want in our life. We fought you. We cussed you. We, 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 ran, we ran away from you. But in this moment, God, we know Jesus died on a cross. We know we're forgiven. We know if he died tonight, we're going to heaven. But now, Will you, with grace and strength and authority of the name of Christ, will you help us to say, I forgive myself. I did the best I could. I tried to hold the marriage together. I tried to be a good dad. I tried to do everything, but I, I didn't know what to do. And so I made it up as I went and I screwed it up. I know that. And I'm sorry and I've repented and I've been forgiven. But will you help me forgive myself? Will you help me look into a mirror and tell myself, based on what you've done in me, I am a good man. I am a good woman. I am a good person. Not because I've, I've done this or done that or, or stayed clean or something like that, but because of you in me, that's what makes me clean. My life is not over. The last chapter of my life has not been written. And it's not based on what I did right or wrong in the last five minutes. It's based on Christ alone. His grace, his mercy is all I need. I'm so thankful to be part of what you're doing in this place stirring things in the hearts of men and women to run back towards you to take down the white flag and, and, and follow you your son Jesus into battle won't give up I love you you're not done with us you have great plans for us I can't wait to see what you're going to do I love you Jesus in your name I pray amen